You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is the second part of my conversation with the fantastic comic and poet Tim Key. So let's talk about the writing of the actual poems. There's loads of other stuff to get on to. Oh, sure. But you've got... Is there any reason why poem 1742 is on your wall there? Are you, are you standing in here... Right, sort of put, puts me in mind of no. you standing here with two bits of chalk, maybe one in each hand, going, oh, this and then this. No, the writing process, this is going to be a very small part of the... OK, process, yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. Is, uh, that's just there, because uh, I, do, I put them on Instagram now, my poems. Yes, I've seen that, and it's great. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of that before, so, but you've yeah, got a brilliant Instagram. So I put... Um, yeah, I wrote that on there and took a photo of it. Gotcha. That's what that is. Um, no, usually writing them is a case of... Um, just writing them. There's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Okay. Definitely no rhyme. I just sit down. Oh God, it's do really you... like compared to like. No, actually, because I do actually work really hard at my writing sometimes, but not in the context of these poems. They're very quick. Okay. They just, they just come out. Do you keep notes as you wander around? And uh, do, you, do you like? Do you see a dog jump through a window and think, "Oh, dog window poem"? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do definitely. I'd note that. I have. I mean, I carry a notepad, and um, but actually, the thing is, I don't note it down. With it was a poem, I won't really note it down, and more likely to just write. Just write the poem. Because they are so mercifully so brief. Short. So if there's a dog who's doing that, there. I think it's hilarious you regard them as a, as a crutch somehow. Yeah, they, they are. But I don't know, there's sometimes I would write a longer one. Um, but I mean, it doesn't really take any more or less time because it's just sort of train of thought. Yeah, just, okay. Um, when I did um, the news wipe and things like that, that's different because they're commissioned yes as in they're saying can you write a poem about you know whatever the um syria and you're like well that's that feels like something i'm gonna have to think about a bit more mm-hmm. and not that i would think about it and try and write something shatteringly satirical okay just uh it's i find it easier to write about like a a, a lady who's um stewing some plums then I find it to write about something that's 
Yes. Like, you know, the banking crash or something like that. Do, do you find that there are certain topics that you head towards? Do you, do you think... Oh, yeah, I do. I always... What sort of <clears throat> things are in your wheelhouse? What sort of things do you find yourself often... I find myself... There's a lot of... There's a lot of um, death. Um, there's a lot of people being left out. Yes, okay. <laughs> dinner, dinner parties? There's a lot of dinner parties. There's a lot of people coming back. And I don't know why that is. I've noticed that recently. There'd just be a bloke who's just come back and everyone's fed up. <laughs> there's a lot of people who come back. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of people doing some some eccentric things with animals. Um, people eat some pretty pretty bad stuff. Um, there's a lot of people in love. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, but that's the, those are things that you've noticed yourself coming back to rather than any subjects you've gone towards. No, there's never a subject I've gone towards. I wrote um, my... Like, I wrote a book of them. And <clears throat> as part of that, it became a kind of chapters thing. So I, I uh, for the first time, looked at... Uh, I sort of was confronted with them. And, it's, I, like, it's quite easy to think, well, obviously probably there's one, there'll be a chapter probably about relationships or dating, mm. um, marriage, things like that. But then there was a chapter about rascals, which was, you know, again, plenty. The yeah. Need to write. yeah, okay. One about heroes. Again, there was, they sort of, there was one about um, jobs. So I guess there's quite a lot of things where I just assign someone a job and say what they're up to. And then as part of that, I I think there's like I found there was a lot that was set at night, and so but not enough. So then started to write just about night. Okay. So I do sometimes do that when I do a show. I did I did that last show, and I knew that I was going to use a bed. So I write lo- I wrote loads of poems about beds, mm-hmm. which is very it's always quite fun because then you preview it and you don't have a bed. You're just, <laughs> okay. you know, inexplicably, this person who's suddenly writing okay. everything is about beds for no good reason at all. And you, sh- I mean, I, obviously, I hear what you're saying that they're um, that it's a short, you know, they tumble out of you, and they're, you know, you don't spend much time writing on them. But compared to those ones in that YouTube video from 2005, yeah, how do you think your writing ability has changed since then? Because, like. The stuff you write now, I mean, would you say the stuff you write now is better than the stuff you started writing? Um, and if so, how? Well, what I tried to do... No, I don't think it is. What I tried to do is each show, I always try and make sure... I, when I started writing, I wrote 227 in a notepad and filled that before I even said any of them. And didn't tell anyone I did that. You wrote 227 different poems yeah, in a notepad? in okay. a notepad, like, just on the tube instead of reading... Okay. <clears throat> I just wrote these poems. And it, so each poem is the same length. And those ones are probably a lot of the ones I was reading in that thing. But what I f- try and do is with each show, there's at least one from those first 227. And they are, they're, they're slightly different. Like if I, the most recent five that I've written, probably all would have some kind of, be more peculiar be more maybe like jokey. There'd be more mm. something more discernible that you can get your teeth into and think that's a bit like a joke. Maybe some of them, or, or they're more. I don't know. I don't. I've never really sort of placed them next to each other, but I know that they're slightly different. But I don't know exactly how. But I used to like those those really early ones. There, nothing would happen. Just be like some old men. 
drinking cider and then driving up, not driving after that, but, you know, drinking cider and then packing away their games and going their separate ways. Well, these sort of peculiar things where part of it was, I think part of the the joke back then was, I mean, why why document the... <laughs> yeah, OK. Why, why okay. document these incidents? And that joke is still valid. Sometimes, yeah. But, Do you think... But other times, these days, there'll be a poem where you, where you don't think, why is he documented that in, incident? Because you're thinking instead, that's a funny... That's a funny poem. And is that because your performance ability has, has changed? I mean, it must have in, in ten years' worth of performing comic poetry. Yeah. You must, be, you must have got better at them. Uh, that, no, I, I, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't think I have. I got different at it. OK. I would say that... <clears throat> no, I definitely haven't got better. Back then, when you're doing it for the first time, and I would split rooms more, and so I'm doing it differently, but not better. Like... In 2005, 2006, it was just really a really fun thing to do. I had that um, that complete kind of um, anonymity where no one would have a clue, obviously, uh, what what I was about, but but not like a couple would know. No one would know because I hadn't done it. And so then it it becomes a very different game from... Now I'm very lucky that I have an audience. If I do an Edinburgh show or, you know, a, if I do a preview, I'm really lucky. I, I kind of um, uh, count my lucky stars that I have that. It's very nice. And it allows you more freedom. It should do. I think it does allow you more freedom. But it also, I don't know, I don't, I don't have it quite clear in my head how much responsibility you have to, to make sure it's all fine. Yes. And I don't know. I, I, mean, I really don't know exactly what my uh, take on the two, the, the sort of uh, ten years apart is. Mm. But I know I really liked that first year. Sometimes it wouldn't, go for, it wouldn't go so well. But I think it was, I mean, I think part of it was I was sort of getting used to the idea that I was, I was reading them all for the first time. And... I was as startled as everyone else that this was this could be an act. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone in the room is sort okay. of thinking, now, how is this fine? Including me, I'm sort of there going, well, I don't know, because the person before me has absolutely written some jokes and the person after me has um, really sorted himself out. And in between, I, uh, I'm reading some... I'm doing something different, which I'm, I quite enjoy... And then the the audiences responded really well. Like the audience enjoyed it as well. But like I say, there would also be some some measure of division in the audience, not devastatingly, but you know it wouldn't be like. I'm not saying that it was a car crash, but five people were loving it. It wasn't like that, but there was certainly more kind of. Um, it was slightly more colourful. Mm. Um, atmosphere in the audience. You know, I think now, if, if I go on <clears throat> in front of 100 people, my aim is absolutely that I really hope these 100 people like this stuff. If you regard them, if you regard the poem, sometimes even, as a crutch, is that the same as saying that you would rather be the sort of stand-up like Mark, for example? 
would you rather be able to go out there with some stories and some jokes that you'd written and improvised and worked on and you had no props and no cards? No, I wouldn't rather be. I, I, I'm very... I do feel very lucky that I have an act. There's my act. Yeah. And I have found a way of doing it. So, no, I, I don't really... I very... I mean, I, I obviously watch people and think, wow, that's inspired me to work harder. But I don't tend to watch and think... Like, you know, even stuff that I love, like um, like Mark, or watching Alex, Alex's last show. Just, yeah, I just watch and think it's great that he, he does it his way and I do it my way. Very vive la différence. has to be. <laughs> like, I watched Kim Noble and just think, Jesus, I mean, I don't know how he does that. No idea. And it, it's amazing. And I have not a massive amount of interest in, um, you know, swapping I mean, there's there's practical things about it where um, the idea of um, arriving at a gig with no na- need for poet for poems, music, mm. suit. I guess there's a few props that are, that I need. I need mm. to, I have a sort of armor and um, weaponry that I have to have. But I, I don't sort of ever, don't really lose sleep over it. I think it's worse when, you, it goes in waves, doesn't it, of how confident you feel. <clears throat> right now I kind of feel okay about it because um, I haven't done it for a while. So and when, I was, when I last did it, it was all fine. Yeah. <laughs> and so I kind of feel quite optimistic that it should be okay. It should be all fine again. So if there are bits where you're less confident with it all, then I suppose at those times you look at other people and think, oh, I wish I had their act. But what you're really saying is, I wish I was on top of my own act. Yes, yes. Yeah, that, I, yeah I think that's, uh, that's, that's very uh, insightful. Let's talk quickly about the, uh, what, what's the impetus behind, the, you know, if we're talking about bringing things to the gig, yeah. obviously <coughs> there's a bath or a bed or an incredibly involved... I mean, in your in your uh, toilet, there is on your toilet wall there is a, a framed picture of the three person sub aquatic camera shoot required for that show, which is a brilliant picture that I feel privileged to have seen. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, what's the impetus behind? And I'm thinking also in terms of like uh, the beginning. I mean, am I allowed to give things away? I won't. I don't. Oh, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think, I, mean, I think Well, it's a couple of years ago. That, but yeah, like yeah, the yeah. beginning of the show, I think it was Master Slut, where there was a lookalike. Oh, yeah. You, you were on stage and walking in and out on stage as we came in. Yeah. And then we watched you, and suddenly you were impossibly behind us, and it must have been a lookalike. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, this is this is all incredible, brilliant stuff. Where does it come from in you? Why do you want to be doing that? Uh, well, I think the thing is, uh, with that show, I had an idea. It's all about whether you have an idea. If, if you have an idea, <clears throat> I guess these days I work in such a way where, um, or I make a show where if I have a good idea that's like that, rather than the good idea, which is just a good idea to say something, then it's a possibility for me, I think, because uh, I, I also have like people who I work with who can help make that happen and so like the bath I kind of thought I think part of it is I want to make a really good show and I think with that one 
I the show before had been a success and I felt um, a pressure on myself to make sure my next show was as good as that one. Okay. <clears throat> For me, that I, that I liked it as much. And so I had this idea came to me, I think in the bath, of having a bath in the show. And uh, my plan was that when the audience were coming in, there'd just be a bath on stage, a hot bath with bubbles and steam rising. And then once everyone's in and we get clearance, the lights come down and there's just a spotlight on the bath and I come out of the bath. Mm -hmm. I thought that'd be a nice way to start a show where after that people would... I think people would um, be confident that I had had some good ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't actually end up like that. That wasn't how I used the bath in the end. Did you ever try doing that? Because no. that seems replete with its own... No, that would have had, that would have had issues, yeah. including, um, obviously, my death. <laughs> death and... and that, no, but what I did instead was I just had a bath and then uh, got in the bath. Like, well... But but I mean, submerged myself, disappeared mm-hmm. into the bath, and um, I just sensed that, that would be a nice thing to do. And so, and I'm, I'm, <coughs> if I'm remain, remembering correctly, you climb into the bath, yeah. uh, chasing a can of ruddles. Yeah, we yeah. do do that. Yeah, and uh, and then we see you on a projector screen, and it's actually you swimming in this glorious, yeah. well lit, professionally filmed. Yeah, you know, subaquatic environment. Yeah, whilst you are then hiding in the bath using a, an oxygen canister to remain underwater. Um, by and large, holding my breath actually. Really? Okay. Um, or I mean, a, a tube would probably also have worked. Yeah. Well, actually, no. The way to do it would have been a yeah, a tube that comes out. Yeah, I designed it in my head about um, a year after <laughs> doing the it. show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It must have been a way of doing that. Um, yeah, but basically, all of it comes from that one idea of coming out of the bath at the start of a show, which didn't happen. After that, once you've got people um, welding two baths together to make a big bath, then you're at liberty to think about how you can use the bath. Then, actually, it's probably got quite a lot in common with writing, where you're sort of working out how this all works. Uh, Yeah, so then, with the bath, um, there's another thing of um, structure, I suppose, I, the show before I had films which would run through the show and I really, really liked that because it sort of gave me a a, a moment between these sort of, in my mind, they were kind of almost acts. Mm-hmm. I once wrote that, wo- that word down. That's lucky it's not on there, is it? I don't have acts on there. But yeah, sometimes I did, in my mind, think of them as acts where... Uh, Get this, get the introduction done, then film, then this bit of stuff with these poems and this other thing that fitted in with that, and then film, and then I would introduce what the next, what this act, this this section was about, and so the whole thing felt more, um, more structured than it would have done if I'd just done it in exactly the same order but without mm-hmm. the films. And so with the bath, I used it then for that method, for that as well, was to... I mean, I didn't, like, put one show there and put the next show next to it and match up and try and replace good things in my last show with equivalents. Um, but at the end, I did. And it was re- kind of remarkable how similar okay. they were, really. Yes. 
And so, yeah, with the bath, instead of just walking into the back, into the into the gloom and the film coming on the screen, mm-hmm. I would just disappear into the bath. And that was, I imagine, quite interesting to watch. I mean, it's not just interesting to watch, is it? You must have known or, or, or subsequently discovered that moments like that make people go, whoa! No. That, no? That, not that part of it. No, I don't think so. I mean, I, obviously I hope that people are thinking that, but it's quite funny because I don't get any of that because I'm in the bath. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> and when okay. I come out of the bath, I don't get well anymore. I get people looking at me thinking... How's he going to cope yes. with the fact that he's wet? Sure, but you might not. You might not receive the woe, but you must. Like you must be able to visualise. Like when that happens, yeah. Surely, it, I mean, is okay. Let's be purely cynical about this. Is part of you thinking that's got to be an extra star? Uh, I no, mean, no, on, because on because, some level, no, because um, I, it, if I'd done a rubbish show with that happening, then it doesn't get you an extra star. It's just like okay. I mean, why? It, you write a funny show. Why has he got a bath? You know, there's no. I think it only it only works as part of a balanced diet. It has <laughs> okay, to be. Okay. There's no. There's no point in doing that. I would. If I walked on stage and absolutely died on my ass for 15 minutes and then had a bath, people would people wouldn't be thinking. Well, they'd be like, Yeah, stay in, stay in, stay in the bath. <laughs> And then when I come out of the bath, they'd be like, "What are you doing? The bath? Get in the bath. We'll all we'll be we'll be fine with you in the bath." But yeah, I I, um, I don't ever think of it like that. I kind of there's a, there's probably an element of security in it mm-hmm. that I kind of feel like if that was all working, then uh, I know I have a lot of faith that that my show has a sort of a beginning, a middle, and an end, and I and I know that it can. It can work as a as a thing, um, and also there's stuff that's, that's that's ready to happen. That's kind of I know that those bits at least will work, even if there's any kind of lull in my bit. <clears throat> but it also means that I'm just doing ten minutes, and I kind of I'm I'm coming into it with a bit of momentum, yes. and I know what I'm doing in those bits, and I know that as we tick down to the moment I go into the bath again, that the stuff that I filmed is, is, yes. very, is very pretty. And so, yeah. But, um, like, for example, this, at the moment, I'm trying to maybe build a new hour up, but I don't have an idea like that, so it's not... So I probably won't have it. Uh-huh. Uh and in in the in that show in that that bath one, I remember my main thing was I thought I won't have any films, and then I thought of that idea of the underwater stuff. So I think you have to be quite flexible. Um, but yeah, if I thought of it, if I thought of something that was you know the equivalent of of, of a bath situation like that, yes, which I did in the last show, I had something yeah. which I thought, yeah, that I really love that idea, yeah, and then just sort of threw, threw myself into it. But um, I don't know how you think of those ideas. No, I don't think you no, can, okay. I don't you can't you can, sit and go... I don't think you can. I don't yeah. think you can sort of go, well, I think I'll spend a day on that. I mean, you can sort of walk around your flat looking at bits of furniture and thinking, maybe this show is about sofas. But after a while, I think people will probably cotton on to you. 
So this is Tim, the uh, the second hour from Tim here. We actually recorded for longer than two hours, but I've tried to whittle down the best bits. Um, loads more fascinating stuff here. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it. Thanks for all your feedback on the first episode. Remember, you can tweet about the show. You can tweet at me at ComComPod, uh, or you can email me info at comedianscomedian.com. Uh, feel free to share this around. There's loads of different ways you can help the show. I know some of you like donating, and those are very much appreciated. Your donations can come via PayPal uh, at uh, comedianscomedian.com you can click on the paypal button uh, and support the show with a pound a show a one-off donation of five ten twenty pounds or whatever else you think you would like to pay your donations keep the show free for people who can't afford it so thank you very much to everyone that has recently um feel free to continue doing that uh there's uh i just one or two little things oh that was it i wanted to mention the soho run again so very very excited uh to be working in conjunction with soho theater um, the first Tuesday of the month of the next four months, uh, we have got some brilliant guests. Now, lots of people have been asking me who the guests are. I think we're going to release the names nearer the time because we're going for some quite high profile people. And it's very difficult to get uh, people of that caliber locked in two months ahead of time. And I, I don't want to announce a name and then disappoint you. And um, I understand that means that uh, only a very small, hardcore percentage of you will rush to the Internet now and, uh, and book tickets. That's absolutely fine. Uh, we will be bringing you those names as soon as they're locked in and confirmed. And we'll do one at a time, I think, most likely. Um, we'll we'll get back to Tim Key, really. There's not a huge amount else to say. I'm, I'm uh, completely submerged in preview week at the moment. I've been trying to recreate the brilliant time I had at the... Uh, New Zealand International Comedy Festival last year, previewing my show, when it's just such a privilege to do a preview every night, write the show all the next day, and then do a preview again. So I've tried to recreate that um, with a run of previews. The first one at Top Secret last night was amazing. Really looking forward to the backyard tonight. Um, thanks to everyone that's coming along to those, and the Pleasance tomorrow night as well. Um, I, I realise I'm saying this on Tuesday, and you won't hear it till at least Thursday, probably Friday, but let's assume they all went swimmingly. The first one certainly did. I'm very, very pleased about that. Um, oh, and I, uh, I also appeared recently on uh, Pappy's Flatshare Slamdown, which is a fantastic podcast by Pappy's. Uh, you'll know them from Badults on BBC Three uh, and also from their terrific uh, back catalogue, as it were, of live shows. Really exciting shows. And I found out from them last night that Tom Parry is taking his show up to the Edinburgh Festival, his debut hour. And Crosby, Matthew Crosby is going to be up there with his second one. Those are both very, very fine comedians. So uh, you heard it here first, if you heard it here first. Uh, but download our episode of Flatshare Slamdown. Uh, it's a brilliant game show concept podcast where uh, I am competing with Lou Sanders, also of this parish. So uh, she was fantastic and literally threw a glass at the floor and smashed it within two seconds of being on stage. Um, so really good fun. Listen out for that. Uh, also this weekend, I'm going to be on Josh Widdicombe's XFM radio show, which is also a podcast. And also I'm going to be a guest on Rob Deering as he takes over for James Acaster on a FUBAR radio show. So it's all nice and interconnected this week, which is lovely, which is good for me because all I'm doing all day every day is scribbling and then desperately trying to remember all the scribbles. I'm in post-it note heaven at the moment so let's go back to the nerve center uh, this is tim key your um your solo projects because i know you're uh, connected to party and i know obviously with freeze with uh, basdon you've yeah. done the uh, with tom basdon i think i know well enough to start banding around his surname like basdon will do. do um and the, the short film you made together um there's there's kind of co- those kind of collaborative interests. Do you find when you're working on your own, you like you've sort of mentioned a few times walking around the flat and you live in this flat on your own and you've got the nerve centre here. Do you get lonely? 
When you're so, important that the people know that the nerve centre is your term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will cut the bit from the beginning <coughs> right. when I say the yeah. word nerve centre first. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a sign on it saying that. <laughs> uh, do I get lonely? Yeah. Uh, n- not... Depends what you mean by lonely, really. Not lonely, but... Um, you know, you sometimes go out of your mind slightly. Yeah. I mean, it's very useful to have a balance, I think. Uh, so I, I'm i very grateful that I do have people I work with. And then there's good and bad things about both both things. What's quite liberating about doing a show on your own is you don't have any um, discussions where you're trying to be diplomatic because you think one thing and they think something else which can be exhausting. I mean, I think I'm quite fortunate with uh, Basden that we um, we have a very good working relationship. And it's usually quite, you know, it's usually based on working in different countries and based on writing and actual writing rather than ideas. A lot of the time it's like, so you can sort of see it in action rather than have circular conversations about how your okay. show is going to be. So, but nonetheless, when you do your show on your own, there's none of that at all. And, you know, obviously the, the, um, all of the failures you have to, um, suck up on your own, but you also do feel quite pleased when you present a bit of work that you've made. The failures aren't really very apparent these days. Yeah, well, I don't sort of put them out on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> like you, I suppose from the outside, it looks like you're someone who, you know, it's it's all going off for you at the moment, isn't it? And it has been for some time. I mean, you've just done this play with uh, Kitson, yeah, which was great. I mean, that must have been fun to do. Yeah, that that ties in with that last conversation, as in that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's very enjoyable to collaborate and collaborating live was a very nice thing to do. Yes. Turning yeah, I mean, you, looked, you both looked like you were really enjoying yourselves. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. We'd pitch up at seven o'clock every night and have that kind of hour before as a, you know, an hour with, you know, friends rather yeah. than an hour where you're just sort of almost dead. <laughs> And Not well, that when you're almost dead, well, what are you referring to? Before going on stage. I on see, I but, see, OK. But then, you know, I, don't, I actually don't mind the hour before I go on stage on my own either. I don't mind that, but it's it's definitely enjoyable to have, to to work with someone like that. Um, yeah, so that, yeah, tree was fun. Do you see your influence in other newer comics? <laughs> well, um, what was that? What was that last? Oh, because someone sent me something of someone that had done something. Oh, I look forward to finding out who that is after we've finished recording. Yeah. <laughs> but um, do I see it? No, because I don't think I watch enough. Um, are you talking about like um, new comics doing open mic Tinky-ish stuff? Yeah. No, I sometimes like, new or newer. I or... sometimes get a text from someone saying, "Oh, well, this guy's uh, this guy's a fan of yours." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I've, seen, I've seen a lot more poems around these days. Have you? A lot more short poems with, uh, you know, names like Jeff and Tanya in them. Have you? I feel, have you? I feel oh a little God. bit like I have. Yeah. Not, not a lot more, but just I've, I've had that thing of going, oh, fan of Keith. I mean, I sort of feel slightly heaven help them. I mean, it's not... I don't think it's a... I don't think it's a, a gimme that it's going to be right for everyone to read short poems. 
I haven't seen an, I haven't seen much of it, <clears throat> but I know I do know what you mean, and I kind of um, uh, I suppose it is the the whole um, sincerest form of flattery mm-hmm. stuff, isn't it? I, I think I I mean I don't I don't I always like think well that's fine I, I don't really mind it, but I think the problem would be if um, I felt you know insecure in my in my own um, career, where, you know, what I was doing, if I felt like I was um, broke and it had all gone wrong and I was overlooked and then I saw some scumbag <laughs> reading, reading some <laughs> scrap of paper about a man called Jeff on telly, then I'd sort of think, oh, God, he's got my career. <laughs> but um, But no, I don't really... I mean, I suppose it's gonna. It's sort of, it's sort of thing that will happen, isn't it? Because it is kind of, um, it's quite discernible. You can see when someone reads a poem more than, you know, there's plenty of good comedians who maybe wouldn't even notice that someone is doing their stuff because, you know, that it, it's not quite as cut and dry that that's their thing. Mm-hmm. With my one, it is not mm-hmm. that it's my thing. Because I'm sure, well, other people did read poems before and will read them after. But um, obviously, if I see someone unfurl a little, a tiny scrap of paper, or, I mean, I think it would put the tin lid on it if they read it off a pornographic playing card. But you can't. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't sort of go, well, that's my thing, so no one else can do it now. And like I say, I haven't really, I haven't really seen it so much. Yeah, you mentioned. Um... Not you know. You mentioned were you afraid of being overlooked? So you're clearly not afraid of being overlooked. And it's interesting that word overlooked. I think comes that's kind of one of the core fears at the heart of a lot of comedians. Yeah, totally. Like you're obviously not overlooked. You're very much celebrated for what you're doing at the. I was going to say at the moment. I wasn't meaning to be kind of portentous about your future, but um, like you're uh, you do lots with uh, invisible dot. Yeah. And you presumably have like they're cool. They're cool. Like their whole that's their whole brand. They're cool. Yeah. And uh and you're cool. Like you work with Kitson. He's that untouchable uh, guy. Yeah, that was and do cool, you know what I mean? That kind that's of that, definitely a cool move. That's cool, right? Yeah, really cool. <laughs> What's it like being cool? Oh uh, good, yeah. I mean I think the the trick is not to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, that felt very cool. The Kitson thing was... Uh, that felt like a, a real cool move. But not like... not. I mean, it's... it's yeah, it's mainly just kind of... Um, there are bits where you just think, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good thing that's happened. Um, but, you know, it's like... From the outside looking in, you could, you probably would say this to most comedians that sort of seems to be sort of ticking along. And actually, when you live the... My bit... There's bits where there's disappointments and there's bits where, you know, it, it's really enjoyable, you know. I mean, I feel I have no I have no real complaints because um, I've got a lot of stuff that I'm really pl- pleased with and proud of. But obviously there's bits where, you know, you, it didn't quite work out and there's bits where you don't, where you try to do something and it doesn't come off and things. What What are some of those things where you have... 
like something I'm fond of asking people is what what skills do you feel that you don't have? What things do you see other people do and go, oh, I wish I was better at that bit of the job or that approach? Oh, right. Well, I definitely have some of those. I mean, um, I don't know. Confidence is a big thing, isn't it? And sometimes I, I feel really very confident and other times uh, less so. And then you look at other comedians and you think, oh, they're pretty much confident all the time. However, I would say probably uh, other comedians could easily look at me and think, he seems pretty confident. Yes, sure. So, you know, we're all sort of racked with self-doubt and have enormous um, enormous sense of our own abilities and then a sort of complete catastrophic feeling that we're totally, utterly worthless. Do you so, go through those? Of course. Yeah. I'm not in one right now. I'm not going to sort of put one in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're after. Can you text me next time you're in one? <laughs> no, but you, I mean, what what do you do to get yourself out of those? Because I, I, I mean, this, you know, listeners of my show will know that this is a huge deal for me. Like, I'm constantly racked with self-doubt. Not a day goes by and I somehow drag myself out of it. What yeah, sh- what, what do you do when you're... Well, I mean, can, all, A, can you really have moments of self-doubt when you have had such success? Like, what else is there that you could want to have that you don't have? Um, Career-wise. <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can have incredible, incredible lows. I mean, the thing is, if you just do a show where it doesn't go well, then that's enough. I mean, I've definitely had bits where uh, I felt like I've got to just stop stop doing it because I can't, you know, I I feel like I can't do it anymore. But I don't think that's any different from anyone. I've got, you know, good friends who are comedians who would say the same thing and you just go, well, that doesn't make any sense because you're just an amazing comedian and... Like you've just said today, everything seems to be all, you know, <clears throat> you've got some really nice posters. But <laughs> <laughs> I did one in, I mean, I did one in Kilkenny. Well, I went to Kilkenny and uh, the whole thing, the, the whole thing just, uh, the wheels came off and I couldn't do it anymore. And I had, I think, the, th- the three worst gigs of my life, one after another. And... Um, to the point where I just, I had no idea. I mean, I was like a shell of a man. And from nowhere. And I, I did know that after that, uh, in terms of getting out of it, it took a little while because it was a pretty bruising experience. And, uh, I mean, I suppose what you take away from it is that, uh, you know, one thing I take away from it is that I'll never get to there to that bit where it can't go wrong yeah okay and that's not because <clears throat> i don't know why that is i think just <clears throat> sometimes it can go wrong i mean it went spectacularly wrong <laughs> when you said it um it went so wrong that you couldn't continue do you mean like you stopped a show halfway through no i got to the end of it but they, these shows were about 20 minutes and uh the last one, having been bruised and battered by these three gigs before, or two gigs before, uh, I walked on and, and I had this... Um, when I walk on stage, I often bring a can of beer 
and I open it <coughs> and it goes everywhere. And I don't know, first I throw it on the floor in a bag and take my tie out of the bag, put my tie on, pick the beer up and then open the beer and the beer goes everywhere. Anyway, this the, the last gig I did in Kilkenny, uh, I walked on, I dropped the bag and I just I just didn't back myself to be able to pick it back up. I just thought, that's gone. And then I just carried on to the mic and I started with my strongest poem mm. from the last decade that I'd stopped doing about three years before that because it was old now. And I started with that and got nothing and just realised I had nothing now. And I was on stage for 20 minutes and there was no booing or anything like that. I just played silence. And uh, and presumably if they don't get it, yeah, you're, it's not like... I mean, it must be quite a weird thing for you doing <laughs> poems when they don't get it because do you think they're thinking... This guy's a poet. Why is he in the Why is he in the comedy festival? Do you think that? Yeah, but I don't think I don't think they were. I think it's a, it's more like a comedian dying than a. I think you could still see when when I'm reading them out that I'm trying to read out. This is my act. I think they could still see. Ah, oh, his thing is funny poems, and this is not uh, funny. And so this is a slight shame. And do you have any gears in that circumstance? Obviously, on that particular I didn't have occasion, any gears was... in that, yeah, in that circumstance, I do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I've done, I've done quite a lot. I've done it quite a lot of times. So, you know, you can have bits where you think, oh dear, this is. I need to like do something different here. That's all fine. But I wasn't in that kind of like at the moment. I am, uh, as you talk to me, looking quite sort of um, uh, at least optimistic and impish when I'm telling you the story as a person who had to go and do a show tonight, would be able to do it. That day I was fated to not be able to do it. Mm. I mean, I was just looking, I was in my hotel room looking at these poems on the on the bed and just looking at them and just going, I d-. it was like I suddenly realised that I just was a, a general in command of 30 absolutely shit soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> and I just look, was looking at them and just thinking, I can't do that one. I mean, what am I... Because once you do lose confidence... Um, I mean, it was a really, really um, speedy transition. Um, I was, you know, doing merrily, bopping along before, and then I got there and I did a gig that didn't go so well, then another one that went a bit better, then another one that went terribly, then the worst gig of my life, then the worst gig of my life, and this is now the third one. And so in that position, if I look at all of my stuff now, all of my poems, I can, I'll, I'll like smile away and look at these poems and think, yeah, that's quite funny, I'll do that one. These ones, I just look, once, you've, once you're in that mindset, you're looking at them thinking, well, I mean... This won't save me, this won't save me, this won't yeah, save me. How, how yeah, how am I expecting this poem about a cuckoo to do any good? Uh, and why are people going to enjoy the fact that this person's called June? <laughs> and so I pa- I put them all in my little bag and I walked down there and um, David O'Doherty was headlining, I think. Yeah. And he said that he'd never seen anything like it. I walked on stage and he said, you, you look like a ghost. Oh, my God. I mean, that's the thing, and I really transmitted that to everyone. Yes. And uh, And I did it and... Bless my little heart. And then I, I left and 
Yeah, it was a, it was pretty bleak because you're thinking, um, I don't know what happens next time I go on stage, and uh, I kind of thought I was just trying to work out a strategy. Of um, I wrote down like a um, when I got back to my hotel room, I wrote down how I felt. I, I never I never read it since, but I thought it was like important to just document it. Yeah. Um, but I was basically writing stuff about it wasn't a, it wasn't a suicidal thing, but it was sort of suicidal in terms of career. It was like maybe I've, I can't do it anymore. And um, it's incredible how how quickly you can get to that oh, very yeah. vivid state of thinking. Oh, oh, I really was just yeah. lucky for the last ten years. Uh, totally, and yeah, and kind of yeah. When you put it that way, there's some evidence going the other way. But at the time, you're thinking that you're thinking very cogently. You're thinking, you're thinking in quite a mature way. I was, I was thinking, well, I mean, it's not overreacting to think that if I do two more back in London that are like that, what's going to happen in the third one? How's it? Mm. How am I turning it around if I'm feeling like this? And uh, and you know, that was like, that was I don't know when that was a few years ago. Anyway, what the point is, I still had quite a lot of those posters and things, mm-hmm. and my career was still all fine. Mm-hmm. But you know, you never know when it can, you know, when it can hit you. And when it does, it can be pretty earth-shatteringly bad. Let's talk about uh, working with Steve Coogan. Happier, yeah. (laughs) Go on. No, that is a happy thing. (laughs) (laughs) The the listenership has all just leaned forwards on its Oxblood sofa and gone... (laughs) They can lean forward. Oh, really? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, there's not really much to say. It's the same as... um, It's probably much more interesting to sort of... um, For me to say how close I was to, um, uh, you know, throwing myself off a cliff after Kilkenny. The the Steve Coogan thing is that they asked me to do... um, to be in Alan Partridge, which is much less interesting because that's like that's something good that's happened to me. Yeah, <laughs> that's more like cool, isn't it? It is cool. Yeah, I, I feel the responsibility to my listenership oh, sure. to ask you about what it's I like. I feel the responsibility to tell them. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for your listenership. I, I know that I would rather yeah. talk to you about awful doom mongering bleak yeah. moments where you wanted to top yourself. To fair, and I don't think I can talk about that stuff anymore. So I think we're, we're good to talk about Steve Coogan. That was that was my intent. <laughs> well, you know, there's a new series of Mid Morning Matters come out in the summer. Um, he's very nice. We have a professional relationship. Okay. Um, I um, once stayed in his house in the Lake District. So yeah, we get on fine. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, yeah, they asked me to do it about whenever that was, five or six years ago, and yeah, it's a very surreal thing. Because probably like your listenership or your you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm feeling now like my listenership is like a nickname for yeah. my one listener. <laughs> yeah, your wife. Yeah. <laughs> so your listenership um, should know that he's um, yeah he's obviously uh, an amazing comedian, and it's quite a weird thing to like that cliche of having you know front row seats. At, the best show in town. It, it is kind of like that, where I am right next to um, not just Steve Coogan, but Alan Partridge, which is kind of a direct hit. Mm. Because probably like you, 
when I was sort of 17, um, I was just listening to Know Me, Knowing You again and again and again. And knew all of the... This is the, his TV show, his radio show, not the mm-hmm. ABBA song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awful. No, actually, I quite like that. I like, I like ABBA. But, um, yeah, I was listening to it again and again and again and quoting from it. And then all of that, then going on to telly and then on the hour and the day-to-day, um, it was kind of... And then and then the sitcom and stuff, it was kind of uh, on tap for about... Yeah. I don't know about seven, six or seven years, which was amazing. So I I loved it, and then to sort of have this weird moment ten years later, where you're asked to do it, is very very surreal. I would worry that were I to be asked something similar, I would be paralysed by fear mm. and unable to speak, let alone improvise funny stuff. Well, the good thing is that um, it's the sort of I'm bad at making decisions about doing things. But why is that? Um, I don't know. I'm indecisive, which is another way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I okay. don't know why. Um, are you worried that you'll make the wrong decision? Yeah, totally. That... I'm worried that I'll um, do something which is um, rubbish or turn something down, which goes on to be excellent, okay. obviously, like anyone who's making sure. choices. And so with this one, uh, at least you, there's no choice to be made because um, you can't, the idea of not doing it, you can't, you can't really push that through. Yeah, yeah, okay. To your 18-year-old self. You sure. Know, you have to sort of go, okay, well, I'm doing it, so let's work out a way of coping with uh, the situation that you mm. des- described. Um, and so I said I'd do it, and then, yeah, it's really difficult because I remember the first day doing it and um, leaving, thinking you know, I don't worrying that you've potentially brought down the empire. That's the thing. It's a position of great responsibility. And so I kind of feel like... Um, the kid that played Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I do my best in it, but I think you do me a, a service to say that I'm kind of being funny and improvising. There's a bit of improvising, but it, I do sort of feel... I mean, I, I genuinely guys i do do my best but it is more like a um you know it's something for for alan partridge to have in that room i guess it's like a i guess i'm a device as as well as a as being a character um not that you know i enjoy playing that character but um i'm there as a conduit to put that monster through Mm -hmm. and for him to bounce off and stuff and because I think it probably would work if it was just him on his own, but maybe not because he, you know, it would just be phone calls and him just going mad. But uh, yeah, I'd probably stand by that. I think it probably would work. But to have a person with him just yes. means that he can then go off in different directions. Yes, but you're not you're not entirely a straight man. You're not entirely a foil. You know, you're you're very funny in your own right. Well, it's an it's an amazing uh, it's an amazing job to do because it's no acting at all. As in. Uh, I am playing someone who cannot believe that he's in this situation. <laughs> and okay. he's staggered by the person that he's sat next to. Yes. And that's more or less what I am in real life. Like, there's a bit where he sacks me in um, in Mid-Morning Matters and he's yelling at me and yelling at me. And, I mean, I, 
I've watched it, and it like in my eyes, I look like I'm absolutely, um, you know, I'm all over the place because of this. That this I mean, obviously it's like a huge moment for this character that he's getting berated like this. But actually, like on the day, it's more me at the time just thinking, now how is this happening? <laughs> Steve Follicking is Steve the best Coogan. moment of my life. Steve Coogan as Alan Partridge is just yelling at me, and I'm like, so yeah, it's quite a. Um, <clears throat> It's a very, it's a very odd, it's a very odd job. But, you know, really, I, yeah, like I say, I'm very kind of, priv- I, I'm in a position of privilege and I do feel privileged to do it. Are you, are you, are you say you were, you were asked to do that. Were you asked to do inside number, is it number nine, number yeah, 19? Yeah. You were asked to do it as well. Are you, go, yeah. are you not actively seeking acting work? Are oh, you no, just no, no. Of... I'm actively seeking acting work and I'm terrible at auditions. Okay. So um, everything that you will have seen me in, I have more or less been offered it. And that's not uh, in any way a kind of arrogant... Uh, if they offer me it, I'll do it. It's more... You just... There's a parallel career somewhere where I'm good at auditions. Yeah, okay. Where... <laughs> you, you, um, you know, you'd you'd see me regularly uh, as this guy who's got the part in, you know, whatever. The thick of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> which which role did you audition for? I don't know. It was before it went on. It was like okay. right at the start. Okay. And and one of those things where you sort of go there and just think, well, this would be, this would be a good one to get. I'd like to do this, um, but yeah, doing. I'm t- I'm I'm genuinely terrible at auditions. Okay. Like, I, I'm sure I've gone into audition rooms where people have sort of gone, oh, we'll, we'll get him in because yes. I, like, I like the look of him. Yeah, as in there's like a chance I could get the part. Okay. And I'll sort of do my little bit and then I'll sort of look at them and there'll be this sort of um, embarrassed hush in the room. Yeah. Where we all know what's gone on. <laughs> it's oh, like I, I, go, I go around just sort of unauditioning for things. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, this, this, go on. I just sort of go there and it's sort of, it's almost like they've asked me and I've sort of gone along for a couple of hours just to rule myself out in person. <laughs> <laughs> this does beg the obvious question. What's the uh, the biggest thing you've ever blown out of your arse audition-wise? Oh, um, what's, what's the what biggest myth? For, uh, I'm sure there must be good... Like The Hobbit or something? No. <laughs> I feel like lots of British no, comics were any, The Hobbit. I don't think there's any films particularly... Oh God! Maybe there are. Um, I think what I've, what I've done is blocked them all out. <laughs> okay, but I know for a fact that I've gone for them. I mean, I go for these auditions, and I really try and learn it. And then, and my first one was Doctor Zhivago. That was the first one I did for this TV adaptation of Doctor Zhivago. Okay. With maybe Kira Knightley, something like that. Uh-huh. This is in two thousand and one, uh, and I think that's the thing. Now I'm very obviously philosophical about auditions because I'm just horseshit at them. But then I remember doing that whole kind of, you know, Tim Roth in um, Reservoir Dogs thing of just being in this car park, just learning my lines and just walking around this car park near Waterloo. Just learning my lines, learning my lines, and just going in, going up in the lift, thinking, "Oh, this will really change things if I'm playing this um, leading character in Doctor Zhivago on ITV." And then just sort of being in there, doing it, and and leaving. Oh, the guy took a call. The uh, cast director took mm. a call while I was doing it. So, 
okay, that's not a good sign. Anyway, I left just thinking, hmm, right, it's going to be a really difficult career. <laughs> like, really hard to do. Oh, God. Yeah, so that that is a definite... That's a definite limitation for me. I have two more questions and then I'll sure. let you go. One is about cowards. Oh, yeah. Cowards is great. Cowards is... I've, I've used it as an example more than once in the, uh, in the episodes of this podcast that I've done. Um, I, that was a terrible sentence. I'm going to do no, that again. No, I don't again. mind it. <laughs> I won't keep do it again. I'll keep it in. <laughs> in the episodes of the thing. Yeah. Um, I use it as an example of the moments when I'm feeling, oh, Christ, what's the point? If cowards can't get a full-length series, if that show yeah. couldn't get a full thing, then what's the fucking point? Well, so please tell me there's some underlying thing whereby one of you fucked a producer or something went horribly wrong. Tell me it wasn't just that. They just dropped it. Well, I don't know what it was, really. I mean, I definitely didn't fuck a producer. <laughs> I don't know why that came to me. No, it me? came to you, but also you were pointing at me. <laughs> Um, what happened was, look, the thing about that is, I'm very, again, philosophical about it. But it was difficult. It was very difficult at the time. Now I'm really kind of... There's, I think you're churlish if you've been able to make it and then you're... You know, you can't be too downhearted that you made three because you made three. This is, I've just realised we haven't explained what it is for people who in other countries oh, yeah, or people sure. who haven't heard of it. It's a sketch show Delightful with sketch show. Uh, you, Stephen Lloyd, and uh, Tom. Tom Basden. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so basically, what happened was, was we, we did it in Edinburgh, and it was a really, that was a really enjoyable thing to do because we were all younger and living in each other's pockets and writing loads. That was kind of learning how to write, I guess, and we would do new new shows every month, the Hen and Chickens, and um, and then a new show every Edinburgh. And when I say every Edinburgh, it makes us sound like we were stalwarts, but we did too. <laughs> and uh, then we got a radio show. Then we got a BBC Three pilot, which was it also involved us taking over the BBC Three website, which is a very peculiar. There was a sort of thing where you're simultaneously saying yeah okay and also sorry what do you mean yes i remember that it was I, very odd. i remember seeing it was all white and yeah. sort of animated and well, stuff. we were all shot from above yes yes yeah. yeah i think it was i think we did a, i think we did a sterling job yeah anyway what you're talking about is then after that they commissioned us to make three and so we made three episodes and we worked very hard it was a pilot, it was called a pilot series. So I guess the idea is they they look at it and then decide whether they want the series. And we did it. And I just, my big thing about it was it was a very weird time to, to stop us because I felt like um, them not having faith in us, losing faith in us at any other point. We made this BBC Three pilot. It wasn't quite quite right. And I think at that point, if they'd said, yeah, I don't think it's quite it's quite going to happen, but, you know, keep up your live stuff, then I think it would have been less perplexing, actually, in a way. It was the fact they got us to do those three for BBC Four. And then we did them OK, I think. And the director was great. 
And then I remember them editing it and us seeing a version and thinking it's not quite not quite right, I don't know. But then we saw a final version. And at that point I thought, yeah, actually pretty proud of that. And then it went on telly. And then it, it got really good reviews. And a lot of people really liked it. But they're just bit, obviously they're people who I know. So obviously they I don't know how everyone liked it. And then we didn't get a recommission. Not a recommission. I, I sort of, my main regret is that we didn't get to make three more. Yeah. Because then we'd have six. Yeah. And then when you've got six, you can do things a bit more. It doesn't feel like a taster anymore. Yeah. It feels like that is a finished it's thing. It's a series. And we could, we could. Even in that's that first episode, the judges, the acquitted yeah. sketch, the, the uh, Russian roulette sketch, it's brilliant. Yeah. I, I mean, I really like it. You know, I'm not going to put a counter argument uh, to that. It's very, <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> no, but it's not brilliant. But what I would say is, I think just even quite objectively and not not emotionally, I think it. I think we did a good enough job to for it to be called a pilot. I think there was enough there for people to think. I think that these guys might be able to make something. Might be able to do the other three, and so that what was what. Um, annoyed me and I, I still don't know we never had a bit it where... wasn't like a, you know the <clears throat> series producer moved on or the commissioner there's changed always jobs people or moving something. so there was yeah. maybe a bit of movie movie but also there was never a moment where someone said to us the four of us in a room this is why mm. and that was that was a slight frustration that actually there was not after it had gone out that that's that was the end of uh, Cowards Mm. That was it. I mean, you didn't know at the time. You had this moment where it goes out and we were, like, really, really pleased with it and obviously enjoyed the fact that some people said they liked it. But what was quite weird is that it only became apparent as the years went on that that's, that it's not going to happen again. Mm. You know, there was, like, three months later, six months later, and then you realise three years later that that was, that was a bit of... Time where we made that, mm. rather than I wonder if we'll be able to make more. So it's all kind of, it's all done now. Which and it is quite, yeah. It's like I say that the headline news is. I'm glad that we got that far, rather mm. than not be able to make three, because it would be nice to be able to watch those. You know, in ten years' time, we did make did make those things. But yeah, I'd say on balance it would have been it would have it would have wouldn't have felt weird for them to give us three more, certainly. Mm. Would have felt like that was probably a fairly sane thing to do. Um and so you know, then you sort of watch other things and you sort of go, Oh, oh well. Because you know, a lot of other things get to make, you know, a whole series, mm-hmm. or then more than one series. But I think it's probably not healthy to even start thinking. Sometimes you can't help it. There's something that's you're watching, you think, oh, God. But actually, I don't really have many of those moments. I think I did at the time, but I think now that we're very lucky to have that shared experience together. And, you know, we did... At the end of the day, no-one's going to... Even if we've made six, no-one would have watched all six, probably, so... We do have, like, a show, a live show we're really proud of, a radio show we're really proud of, and a TV show we're really proud of, which is, like, that's quite a good thing to have looking yeah. back. 
yeah. <clears throat> Last question. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. That's. I feel uh, it's not. It's not bleak. And like most of the things we've talked about in the negative, yeah. you do sound very philosophical about it and very balanced. And... Well, totally. But that's the thing, and it drove it drives you on to different things. You know, I think if we'd been able to make more, that was in about two thousand and eight, nine, something like that. Then, I mean, a lot of my a lot of my live stuff is born out of being available to do it, being free to do it. Mm. And so, you know, it may have been that if we'd done that for the next... It would have been a very different thing. If we'd done that for the next five years, let's say if we'd done it then for... We'd got to be, make the other three, then we got to make another six, and then maybe it had been put onto BBC Two. Mm-hmm. Then it's a very different life. Whole, yes, everything's yes. different. Yeah, of course. Like we'd be famous, be like like peculiar. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, and which if you'd is, been famous, you maybe couldn't have taken the same risks that you took, or you know the. No, no that's a good thing I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> easily taken the same risk it's almost a matter <laughs> final question yeah. um, and I haven't asked this question before I don't quite know what it is so I'm just going to rough it out you are someone I think who like this like Stuart Lee and Simon Munnery and uh, people of that ilk people describe people describe you as a genius what is it that you're doing differently to a lot of other people <clears throat> What is it? What's the core of your your approach that is oh, right. that is different? Oh no, that is not too bad to answer because there's no the problem with like when you frame it with saying that I'm a genius, which I would probably um, uh, argue is a bit much. I would say that, um, but in terms of approach, I can answer that. That um, whatever you know, however my sort of. Um, my my stuff is is just entirely down to you know just being just luck really and just getting buffeted in various different directions so there's no kind of i'm sure the same with with any comedians who you you know who you it's been nice for you to rate what i do but with any of that you that you rate it's just them finding their way isn't it and just maybe mine's a bit peculiar because um it took a, a bit of time to work out an avenue that suited me and that I could that I could do, and maybe that has a, a knock on effect that sometimes um, some of what I do is a bit a bit a bit curious because the, the, at the end of the day I started um, the f- the first time I did stand up with a, a microphone in a place it was stand up and it was absolutely rubbish. So maybe that's a part of my um, um, get, getting to where I have got to. I've been fortunate that I wasn't mediocre at stand-up. I was terrible. Like, it was untenable. And <clears throat> not that mediocre in stand-up is a good or a bad thing, but if I if I'd got away with... If I'd managed to find my way in there... I might still have been able to sort of, you know, then gradually unlock it and work out how to do it properly and get better and better at it. But I think having to actually come away from it completely and literally just sort of go, I don't know how to do it. And 
you know, at the time it's quite difficult because you're in your mid-twenties and you're thinking, well, I've had a little go there at being a comedian and that hasn't quite worked out, which is quite demoralising. But then on the back of that, you find, you move into other things and the fact that I couldn't do it meant that I worked with Alex as his um, little assistant, worked with Mark as his little assistant, worked with Mark um, as a as a double act and stuff like that, just did really inconsequential um, but fun things with friends. And I suppose that has probably been... Well, that's a useful thing as well, that I've had a lot of friends who, in other news, were really talented, which I sensed at the time. But like Alex and, you know, the other guys from Cowards and Basden and Mark, I got to work with them a lot, where maybe if I'd sort of gone off and done my own thing, I might not have, um, you know, had as much practice trying to trying to work out what I want, what I what were my strengths and what I could do on stage. So um, I don't know the answer to your question. Um, And also your question is very problematic. But I think that that probably contributes to what the the stuff that I do now is the fact that um, I did go through this sort of route of um, being appalling, then becoming a nonsense boy and then getting better at being a nonsense boy and then at the end of it getting paid for it which is kind of where I am now is doing my live stuff and working with working with Alex just like always but now professionally and working with Basden just like you know in my mid-twenties for no money now that's kind of that's what we do I think at the time it's quite difficult and quite a lot of fending off questions from my parents about um, exactly how my life was going. But actually, it probably did no harm to actually me as a comedian to have those kind of... to sort of enter that really peculiar and um, uh, indefinable labyrinth that I was in for... From then onwards, really, we're still mm-hmm. in. Yeah, it's kind of a a peculiar route, which probably helps to, um, which probably feeds into having a sort of fairly, I guess, peculiar, um, like certainly stage stage persona, and you know, I guess it feeds into everything as me as a comedian. Thanks, Tim. Thanks. Thanks for coming to my flat. <laughs> That was Tim. Many thanks to Tim for coming along and doing the show. I'm very pleased to announce that Nick Mohammed is going to be my guest next week. Uh, I'm meeting him on Monday to record that interview, so you'll you'll have that next Thursday or Friday. And uh, I, you're going to love Nick Mohammed. Yeah, now's your time to do your research. He has got some great stuff online, and he is again like Tim. He's an innovator, and he's responsible for some really exciting comedy. And and also much like Tim, he manages to to walk the line really uh, invigoratingly between 
brand new, fresh comic ideas and absolute silliness, like bewildering silliness. So Nick Mohammed coming up soon. Uh, thanks to Tim. Thanks to you for listening. Do give us a five-star review on iTunes if you fancy. If you're passing through that way, uh, you can listen to the show on Stitcher as well. I think they've probably got some sort of equivalent ratings thing. Share it with a friend. Donate at comedianscomedian.com or just tell people in the street how great it is and graffiti it on buses using a coin rubbed several times against the window. I feel like part of me should go, don't actually do that. None of you are actually going to do that. Do it. Don't do it. Do it. Uh, Thanks very much for listening and uh, come and see some stuff. If you're in Estonia, please do come along to the Estonian Comedy Festival. If you're in or near Wales, uh, anywhere in Britain, come to the Secret Welsh Comedy Festival, end of April, beginning of May. I will see you there. (laughs) 